Well, good morning. Uh, we are in week five of our 20-week series, around uh, about a quarter of a way through, if my maths serve me well. Uh, our series zooming out uh, and seeing the big story uh, in the Bible. Now, you probably don't need me to tell you that uh, the Bible is really quite a long book. In fact, it took over 2,000 years to write. It's made up of 66 separate books. It was written by 44 authors across nine different countries and three different continents and we're setting out to cover the entire book in just 20 Sundays. Now if you've been around the church for any length of time you'll know that normally we'd work our way through a book of the Bible slowly and meticulously verse by verse but this term we're going very much to the other extreme. The reason being I believe there's a tremendous value in seeing how the whole story all fits together. Now so far, just to recap, we've encountered a whole range of different people growing in God. So back in part one, we looked at the first 10 chapters of Genesis and saw people like Adam and Enoch and Noah walking with God. Uh, to put it another way, they grew in their relationship with God. In part two, we looked at the rest of the book of Genesis. We looked at people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Each one of them encountered God and themselves got to discover new aspects of his character. And then in part three, we saw how God continued to show people, to demonstrate to people what he's like. We saw how through his interactions largely with Moses, how he's powerful, he's loving, he's righteous, he's holy. And then last time in part four, we learned that he's a God who loves to make promises to his people. People like Joshua and Rahab and Ruth all grew in faith in God's promises and saw them fulfilled. If you remember, there's also a warning here that we can miss out if we retreat in fear or throw away our confidence in God. We saw last time how both the Exodus generation and a lot of the Judges generation stand as a sobering reminder that if we're not growing ourselves in our relationship with God, we may not enter into all that God has for us. The bottom line is, healthy things grow. Healthy plants grow, healthy kids grow, healthy relationships grow, and healthy people grow spiritually. That's just how it is. If something is healthy, it grows. And what I believe God wants to teach us this week as we look at 1 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, and the book of Psalms, these three books that span from around 1120 BC to 970 BC, is that we all need to grow. God doesn't want our lives to remain static. He wants them to be these great adventures of getting to know him better and better. So if you look back at where you were this time last year, and you're thinking, well, I was kind of asking the same questions back then as I am now. Well, I believe God wants to shake things up for you a bit today. If you're a Christian and your relationship is pretty much the same today as it was a year ago, I believe God would say to you, that's just not right. And so let me try and show you how to get to know me better. It's basically the theme of these 
three books of the Bible, one Samuel, one Chronicles, and the Psalms. Now, if you recall, last time we looked at the book of Judges, which covers the lives of 12 of the 14 judges over Israel. One Samuel tells us about the remaining two, Eli and Samuel. It's like God has held them back to illustrate the difference it makes when we grow in God and when we don't. First up is Eli. On the surface, Eli is a really devout guy. Eli's name is Hebrew for going up. In other words, his name suggests he was someone who was focused more on heaven than on things here on earth. But sadly, as we're going to see, he didn't live that way. It, it was all there on a plate for him. It was like so much opportunity, so much potential. He's the only judge who's also the high priest of Israel. This really should be like the pinnacle of the whole period of the judges. He's the guy who God has appointed to live in the tabernacle, to offer blood sacrifices on its altar, to preach the word of God. Every day he gets to burn incense before God, which is like this picture of people praying to God. He's the one guy in all of Israel who gets to go into the Holy of Holies and stand in front of the Ark of the Covenant, the the place where the very presence of God was. As the high priest, Eli is in the privileged position of being able to approach God. Now, in the New Testament, it says that every Christian, every follower of Jesus is a priest in God's family. What it's telling us is that this is our calling. We effectively get to live in God's house. We we get to live the whole time in God's presence. We get to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We get to know God. Like Eli, we today here in this room are in the privileged position of being able to approach God with absolute confidence. But sadly, Eli is a picture of many Christians today. He's there in the tabernacle but never really takes the time to listen to God. The Bible portrays him as an absolutely tragic figure. Every day he can stand there in the presence of God, hear God speak to him, just like you can. But whenever you open the Bible, whenever you pray, whenever you switch off the TV or your phone and decide to worship God instead... There is never ever a time where God is going to turn around to you and say, sorry, I'm too busy. Just come back later. He never says that. It's the same for Eli. But Eli is too busy for God. 1 Samuel 3 tells us that in the days of Eli, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now, Eli is the guy Eli is the one who's meant to be getting to know God. The whole of the nation depends on Eli hearing from God and sharing with them what God has said. And he doesn't. The problem wasn't that God had stopped speaking. Eli had stopped listening. It's like he's happy to be part of the people of God, but lacks any real passion to get to know him as his friend. In fact, we're we're told that he lazily 
leaves the work of offering sacrifices, which was a privilege he had. He, he, he leaves it for his sons to do, even though he knows that his sons are sleeping with the worshippers and stealing meat from the altar. Although Eli knows what's going on, he does nothing about it. Really, he's a picture of someone who could know God, but is too lazy, is too passive to do anything about it. Now, I want you to be honest. Is that how it is with you? You know, we live in a culture that encourages us to ask questions. Now, that is a good thing. It's great to ask questions, to explore, to look into things, to to grapple with stuff in your mind. But looking for answers is better. We can always be proud at times of our lack of faith of our disinterest, of our disbelief, of our cynicism, of our kind of sitting back in coolness as though it is somehow something really good about us. Eli is this tragic picture of someone who could get answers but never gets off his backside. Could the same be said of you? This week, We're launching two different courses that you are invited to come along to and find some answers to your questions. Bought in Big Questions starts tomorrow night at the Royal Orchid in Selly Oak and will deal with issues like, is faith reasonable? Has science disproved God? Can we be good without God? Why do people suffer? Those are challenging questions, but there are answers if you'll look into it. Our Alpha course starts again this week, but on Thursday evening at the home cafe in the city centre. That will answer questions like, who is Jesus? Why did Jesus die? Did Jesus rise from the dead? What does it actually mean to be a Christian? Now, if those are questions you don't know the answer to, right now God would say to you, come on, please, don't be passive about this. Move beyond just having questions and try and find some answers. And if you're a Christian, God would say that to you even more loudly. There's this occasion in the story where a prophet pays Eli a visit. Remember, Eli is meant to be the prophet. He's supposed to be the one who hears from God, but God has to find someone else who's listening to come to Eli and warn him. The prophet says, because of how you're living, the nation itself is now in real danger. The Philistines are coming. They're going to conquer the land. They're going to destroy the tabernacle. They're going to capture the Ark of the Covenant. Your own sons are going to die. A disaster is going to come upon all of Israel. Eli says in 1 Samuel 3 verse 18, he's the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. On the surface, it sounds very spiritual. Actually, it's completely unspiritual. God didn't send the prophet just so Eli would know what was going to happen. He sent the prophet so Eli would finally wake up and start praying. Remember, this is the guy who can come into the presence of God and speak to him every day. God brings him this wake-up call to get him up off his backside and get before God and plead with God for mercy. God, what must we do to be saved? Instead of getting before God, Eli simply shrugs and does nothing. 
And so in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, the Philistines do capture Israel. And when Eli hears about it, he dies by falling off his chair and breaking his neck because we're told he is so heavy. It's as though the detail is put in there to make us kind of sit up and take notice. You see, there are still many couch potato Christians around today. It's like we know the plight of the people around us, but we just kind of shrug it off. But we have the opportunity every day to stand in the presence of God and speak directly to Him, to plead for our nation and our family and our friends, to ask God to intervene in situations around us. But a lot of the time we're too busy with our own lives. God commissions us to go and tell people that there's a way for them to be saved. But can we be bothered It's like we're tempted just to grow fat on the teaching we receive, but never share it with anyone else. And God wants to hold up Eli as a warning to us. Please, don't be like him. He's not a great example to follow. And just to drive the message home, God then introduces us to another person who's like the polar opposite of Eli. He's a picture of what Eli's life could have become if he had actually got round to spending time with God. He's the 14th judge of Israel and he's called Samuel. From an early age, Samuel's mum sends him to help in the tabernacle. So he's right there with Eli all the time and while Eli is not bothering to listen to God, Samuel from an early age starts listening. He's only a child probably just seven or eight years old. And one night, while he's asleep in the tabernacle, he hears God's voice. And he says this phrase, which in many respects is the crucial message of this whole book. He simply says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. When did you last say that to God? Might not have put it quite like that, but when did you last come before God and say, okay, I'm just going to shut up now. (laughs) I'm just going to wait here until I hear you speak to me. You know, because God cares for us, he invites us to bring our requests to him. But the danger is that all we ever do is tell God about us. Now, don't get me wrong, God loves to hear how we're doing. He invites us to do that. When you never stop to listen to God, effectively your whole world becomes just about you. Listen, this whole message isn't about you ought to read the Bible more. That's not the main point here. The whole point is you ought to, you really must focus on God more. And yeah, reading the Bible is one of the ways to do that, but reading the Bible isn't the end goal encountering God in a real, tangible, life-changing way is really what it's all about. Samuel says to God, speak Lord, your servant is listening. And Samuel's willingness to listen is very quickly rewarded. We're told just a few verses later that the Lord revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Samuel's name actually means either heard by God or hearing 
God. The whole thing about Samuel is he listens to God. And so the Israelites start coming to him and asking him what they should do. Incidentally, they they never did that with Eli. Because they knew, I guess, that they'd be wasting their time if they did. I think God would say to us, it's not just important for you to get with God so you can grow personally. That's important. It's important for you to get with God because the people around you desperately need to hear what God has to say to them. I believe right now God is scouring this room. He's looking for people who will listen to him, looking for prophets and prophetesses, people who will be willing to speak his word to those who need to hear it. The question is, will you be one of those people? Will you put yourself in a place where you can listen to God? So the Israelites come to Samuel. They ask him what they should do because the Philistines are coming. They sense the very real danger. They want to hear from God. Here's what Samuel does. He takes a lamb and he sacrifices it as an expression of his faith in the one who, looking back in the past, delivered Abel and Isaac and Moses. It's also a picture looking forward to the coming of Jesus, the Lamb of God who would come centuries later and die in our place. It's kind of a prophetic statement. If you want victory, ultimately you need to take your eyes off yourself and focus on Jesus, the Messiah. Now, do you see the contrast between Eli and Samuel. Through them, it's like God is asking, are you a spiritual couch potato or are you willing to take the initiative and put yourself in a place to hear God speak to you? Practically, how do you do that? I've already mentioned Alpha and Ball Team Big Questions. If you've still got questions that haven't been answered, that's a great place to start. Read the Bible. Choose a book of the Bible and read through it slowly, asking questions like, well, how did this apply to the people at the time? How does all of this relate to me today? What does this teach me about God? What does God want me to do as a result of all of this? Read the Bible. Join a life group. That's an incredibly good way of saying to God, speak, I'm listening. I think one of the main reasons that perhaps we we don't make time to spend with other Christians to grow in our faith is, let's be honest, we're just busy. Being in a life group is a great way of saying, I'm busy, we all are, but I'm not too busy to stop and listen to what a dozen other people have to say. And I'm going to come expecting God to speak to me and through me. I'm willing to guarantee, if you do that, God will speak. Here's what happens to Samuel. Because he puts himself in a place where he can listen to God. Surprise, surprise, God speaks to him. And as a result, the Israelites are strengthened and their enemies are routed. But then tragedy strikes. Completely out of the blue, the Israelites reject Samuel as their leader. They start demanding a king because they want to be like all the other nations around them. They're not interested in being led by a man whose name means hearing God. 
They refuse to wait for the person that the whole time God is preparing in the wings to rule when Samuel dies. Now they insist on getting their own way, which is often the way with people who don't listen to God. Now the tragedy is that when we insist on telling God what to do, he often punishes us by giving us the exact thing we're asking for. God repeatedly warns the Israelites they'll end up resenting the king. They're not interested in his warnings. They keep demanding a king regardless. And so God gives them what they want. And it's a disaster, an absolute disaster. Saul is appointed king in around 1050 BC. His name means asked for or demanded. Now he looked very promising. According to 1 Samuel 9 verse 2, he was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel and he was a head taller than anyone else. From the outside, he looked like the real deal. But appearances can be very, very deceptive. He never makes room in his life to listen to the voice of God. And so later on in the story, when David is forced to run for his life and hide from Saul, David takes refuge in the tabernacle because he knows that is the one place that Saul is guaranteed never to go. You know, it's really easy to pitch up here on a Sunday and look like you're the real deal. I don't know, we're, we're worshipping God and you're there with your eyes closed, your, your hands raised, lost in worship. God knows the heart. He sees what's going on inside. You can give the impression to everyone else, you're, you're going for God, but all the time on the inside, perhaps there's nothing going on. At the end of the day, the way to tell whether you really rely on God isn't whether you sing loudly, it's whether you can live a day, survive a day without listening to Him. You can tell whether you're living as though you can cope on your own by how quickly you rush to be with God. The tragedy of Saul's reign is he looks great, but he's not great on the inside. Saul never rushed to be with God. 1 Chronicles 10 verse 13 provides this pretty damning summary of his whole life. It says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. And so the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David. Just to illustrate the point, towards the end of Saul's life, the Philistines once again invade the land and they have a giant of a leader called Goliath. Now Saul's the guy who should be defeating Goliath. But because he hasn't spent any time with God lately, Saul looks at the giant and is consumed by what he sees. And he crumbles in fear. Perhaps there are giants facing you right now. Perhaps it's your health. Could be in your family. Could be at school or at college. Could be in your job. Maybe it's in your finances. 
In fact, you probably don't need me to try and prescribe what the giant is or where it is. If you're facing a giant, it will be in your mind right now. Maybe you came here today to try to distract yourself from it. Here I am kind of bringing it into your mind once again. Wait, hold that thought, that, that giant, those giants you're facing now. Just hold them there for a moment. Because David shows us how to deal with those giants key for David was he spent time with God. Really, it couldn't be simpler. The the, the biggest thing you can do to change your situation, to confront that giant that even now you're thinking of, is spend time with God. Biggest thing you can do to impact the lives of your family and your friends and your neighbors is spend time with God biggest thing you can do to to make a difference, to have an impact in this city, is spend time with God. See, when you spend time with God, it it doesn't just change your life, it changes the lives of the people around you. It's like, if you get to know God better and learn to listen to Him and hear from Him, when others don't know what to do or how to respond in a crisis or what to think or what decision to make, you will know what to do. And, having been with God, you'll have the courage to do something about it. That's very much how it was for David. He didn't have a whole lot going for him. His brothers were in the army. They were military. He was just a humble shepherd boy. But he carved out time with God. He's the main author of the Psalms, a book which shows us how to have an intimate relationship with God. Maybe you struggle in your relationship with God. I I say, get before God and and worship and pray. You don't quite know how to. It's like finding the words is a struggle for you. Turn to the Psalms. Just many, many heartfelt prayers that cover almost every emotion, every situation. Read through the Psalms and make them your prayers to God. Here's what David writes in Psalm 23, probably the most famous of all the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod your staff they comfort me surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever Saul didn't even bother going to the house of the Lord David says he wants to be there the whole time And that makes all the difference. Where Saul sees Goliath and feels powerless to do anything to stop him, David sees him and is so consumed with who God is. He says in 1 Samuel 17 verse 26, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Goliath hears these words and just scoffs at him. David's response, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And before Goliath can do or say anything in response, David has slayed him. Listen, these Goliaths in your life, healing, provision, 
breaking free from sin, seeing things happen around you you've been longing for for years, that these giants that loom large over you, the way to overcome them is to spend time with God. Be more consumed with who God is than you are with the problem. That's exactly what David does. As a result, he defeats Goliath. And it changes everything. That the Israelite army rises up and they eject the Philistine invaders from the land. And to cut a much longer story short, David ends up becoming king. Here's Paul's summary of what happened. It's found in Acts 13, verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. And we'll return to the story of David next week. We'll look at the years of his reign and how they point forwards to Jesus. But here's what I want to leave you with this week. God is not telling you off this morning. He's really not. He's not lifting up Eli and Saul to say to you, try harder. He's not saying that. He's lifting them up to contrast them with Samuel and David. And through them, he's saying to you, look at what your life could be like. If only you got more serious about seeking me, if you blocked out time to spend with me and worship me and listen to me, it would change everything. God's wanting to say to you this morning, I can do so much through you if you simply come and get to know me better. Really, more than anything else, this morning is an open invitation for you to get closer to God. For you, wherever you're at, whatever your background, whatever's going on in your life, whatever your past, for you to grow in your relationship with Him.